Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Leprechauns. They're tiny, they're greedy, and they're hard to catch. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Superport, the soda that's built to last. Drink it now or pass it down to your great-grandkids for them to enjoy. Drink Superport. Welcome everybody <laughs> to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we make films. Uh, we shoot and direct and write and act and edit and uh, score uh, music and points i guess <laughs> like, uh we we do all kinds of scoring um and all of that and we use all of that kind of behind the scenes and experience uh to look at films and see how do they work we call we're called the pestle like a mortar and pestle uh you grind up wheat or whatever and you make flour and, and so we grind up a movie and see what it's made of and and use it to bake a show uh, so to speak. And so uh, with that, uh, we got a lot going on today. And so I think we can just dive right in, sir. Let's do it. Uh, so today we are covering Ghostbusters, the original. Uh, so if you haven't seen this film, please go pause this episode, go watch it. Uh, there's going to be lots of spoilers going on. So yes, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of things, story and writing, the efficient storytelling, uh, the comedy style of the film. We'll look at some of the sound and music, the soundtrack itself. And then, of course, we'll also listen to a new Mad Valley track, Ooh. Todd's Band, Ooh. Only Good Things, I believe. Is that right? Yes, sir. Oh, buddy. So yeah. we have all that going on and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Three parapsychologists forced out of their university set up shop as a ghost removal service in New York City, attracting frightened yet skeptical customers. It's directed by, by Ivan Reitman. Uh, it's written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Cinematography by Tak Fujimoto. And featuring Bill Murray as Dr. Peter Venkman. Dan Aykroyd as Dr. Ray Stance. Uh, Harold Ramis as Dr. Egon Spengler. Sigourney Weaver as Dana. Rick Moranis as Lewis. Uh, Annie Potts as Janine. William Atherton as Walter Peck. And Ernie Hudson as Winston. funny us going out like this killed by a hundred foot marshmallow man we've been going about this all wrong this mr stay puffed is okay he's a sailor he's in new york we get this guy laid we won't have any trouble i have a radical idea the door swings both ways we could reverse the particle flow through the gate how we'll cross the streams excuse me egon you said crossing the streams was bad. Cross the streams. You're going to endanger us. You're going to endanger our client, the nice lady who paid us in advance before she became a dog. Not necessarily. There's definitely a very slim chance we'll survive. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. This job is definitely not worth eleven five a year. That's a great place to stop I love, it. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. I, I say that uh, sparingly whenever I'm not excited to be a part of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anytime, anytime our VO fearless leader slacks you. That's right. Yeah. I love this plan. It's definitely Dude. not worth 11.5 a year. <laughs> Dude, so this is coming on 30 years old, or 40 years. 
40 well, years I was gonna old. I say 40, 40 yeah. decades. Um, tell me it holds up. Why do you think? So, okay. So I watched this last night with my kids, uh, you know, PG. Yep. Um, and I was like, uh, you know what? I will just watch this with the kids. And surprisingly, my son loved it. Like, <laughs> yes. like I, you know, I was not, I've watched other movies with him that I thought he would like, and he didn't like, or maybe it was just bad timing and he was bored or something. I don't know. But, but he, you know, he's wanted to watch the new one. And I said, mm. no, 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 no. Well, first off, it's PG-13 and you can't, you know, I, we're not going to, we don't, we try to stay away from PG-13. Uh, but also, you know, you can't watch the new one without watching the original. And so he, he's a big fan of like, wa- of watching things in order. So he nice. didn't want to watch, you know, he wanted to watch all the Back to Futures in order. He wanted to watch the, the all the Spider-Mans in order. He wanted to watch all the Marvel from like in sequential order, you know, like he's very, you know, Star Wars. He's very much like that. So this is our first venture into it. So I, and I thought, you know, this 40 years old, I, I don't know if he's going to like it, whatever. And there were a few comments, you know, of him saying, man, that, that looks so bad. That looks so <laughs> fake, you know, whatever. Um, but he also laughed a lot, like a lot, like <laughs> multiple times out loud, <laughs> which I mean is you know, he laughs at things. I, I get it, but not really out loud. He just enjoys things like, you know, like an adult, like you'll enjoy something, but you won't necessarily laugh out loud. You know, I'll watch always sunny and I'll enjoy it every moment of it, but I won't necessarily laugh out loud all the time. Um, it, that's kind of how he is, but this, in this film, he laughed a lot. And then, I, uh, this morning we were actually filming and, uh, I, we were walking back and I said, Hey, what'd you think of ghostbusters last night? He goes, I loved it. I said, really? I said, yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, um, I said, what's your favorite part? He said, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, you know, <laughs> which was my favorite part. And and honestly, probably the, the most memorable part of that movie is that, right? You know, imagine being a kid and then you're seeing this giant. Oh, it's iconic. Yeah. 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 It's iconic. Exactly. That's the great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So he loved it. I mean, I enjoyed it, too. I enjoyed reminiscing. I and I, you know, I like. Uh, Bill Murray is brilliant. Dan Aykroyd is brilliant and they play their role. And Rick Moranis is so always fun to watch and, and everything. I just don't like the movie. I just don't. Yeah, I don't. I just have to say it. And uh, for me, it doesn't hold up. I I feel Mm. like, well, first off, I was very uncomfortable with a couple of the sexual innuendo stuff that happened um, watching, you know, with my kids. And so that I was like, man, that's PG. There's no way that would be PG now. Like, I mean, maybe it would be, but I would be mad if that came out as a PG movie and that stuff was in it, you know? And then, you know, there were some, like, there was a comment at the beginning, at the beginning, Bill Murray's character asks the the old lady if she's on her period. Right. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, Back that off, wasn't man. fun. I'm a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. And then asked that, I'm like, or asked that. And then he says that, and I thought that, okay, whatever. Uh, that's obviously obviously a sign of the times you know like that would never be in any movie now nor should it i mean i I don't know it was just there were a few things like that where i was just taken out of it just like why that wasn't funny and you know whatever but i like i like the story premise i thought it was a lot of fun in most cases uh and you know enjoyed the reminiscing of old times i don't really have a whole lot to talk about 
with it. Uh, to be honest, I feel like the I loved watching because Simon knew the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was in it. Mm. So he even knew that before watching the movie because, wow. like, that's it's that iconic. Yeah. So he kept asking, when's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man coming? When's it? And I said, just wait, just wait. The Traveler um, has come. Yes. <laughs> uh, but there were, uh, like, a few really funny moments and everything and a, a few frustrating moments, too, that are Im- important, that are, are great for the story. The the guy shutting off the the holding tank for the the ghosts was so frustrating. It was like, dude, why, why do you have to do that? Um, but of course, you know, they need the ignorant, you know, city guy to come in and shut them down. And that creates chaos and and everything so that they can then save the, the, uh, the city. So, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was fun, but I don't, you know, the performances were fun for, for a kid back then. Um, I thought Bill Murray was probably the best out of all of them. Mm. I, I don't know. Dan Aykroyd played a great Ray. But I remember personally, I remember, I think it's the second one, which, which is, is the one with Vigo. With the ooze. Yeah. Is that the second one or is that the third one? Yeah, that's the second one. They never ma- ended up making the actual third one. That's right. They never made the third one. I remember that one more than the first one, to be really? honest. Um, Holy crap. Okay. So I'm curious if the second one holds up more than this. To me, mm. this one doesn't hold up. If I don't see it again, I'll be fine. I don't think that I learned anything from it either from a filmmaking standpoint, at least mm. not that I have yeah. learned so far. But I'm curious as to what you could teach me in your review. I don't want, you know, I'm not trying to tear it down no, or anything. that's fine. Like I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't really land for me in any real substantial way um, from a lighting perspective or a cinematography or, you know, even storyline. I mean, I just felt like I felt like they did what they could with what they had at the time. And, you know, if they were to, if somebody were to make this movie now, it'd probably be, it, it, it could be like, it could be really good, you know, make it for kids. Now it could be really good. But anyway, that's that was my thing, thinking there. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I had the 180 experience. Uh, Great. Oh, awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. We don't have this doesn't happen very often. Not very often, no. Yeah. Like I was dying laughing almost the entire time. Like mm. by myself, you know, just watching it in my room and was laughing out loud sometimes in complete stitches, almost entirely around Bill Murray. Like yeah. his dry humor and his, you know kind of disaffected personality uh was just killing me the whole time and i watched this a lot as a kid so i kind of already have this whole movie memorized and so every line that gets said is i could almost say it you know beat for beat and there's a few things that i i didn't quite remember correctly uh like uh, when somebody asks if, uh, if you're a god you say yes for some reason i thought two people said that uh, you say yes, um, but that was just, you know. I mean, uh, that might be, and we're in a simulation, thing. and that was, <laughs> that's was, changed. Right, yeah. maybe so. Anyway. And so, like, yeah, I I was dying the entire movie, picking up things. I didn't think it had been that long since I'd watched this, and maybe the last time I watched it, I just wasn't fully paying attention or something. Like, maybe I was at someone's house, and they had it on in the background, um, and so I was only kind of paying attention. But sitting and watching it this time, it was like, kind of rediscovering all these jokes that I didn't really catch as a kid. 
So like, you know, being Simon's age, there's a lot of jokes that just don't make sense. Um, I didn't understand, like, even in the, the park, um, there's a couple of things that happen in the, in the park where he's meeting Dana after she's leaving, you know, rehearsal and she's walking out with that guy. He calls the guy a stiff. I didn't know what that meant. Um, and I, I remember kind of asking, a uh, my brother and I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, he's a dead guy. And I was like, wait, what? And so it, it just didn't click the kind of commentary he was making about this guy being like just a boring, dull musician, um, by calling him a stiff. And then of course, at the end, as he's walking away, um, he's like, I'm glad you're feeling much better. Still a little pale though. And so he's just <laughs> kind of still laying on this joke about being a stiff. And I, all of that was lost on me. I thought it was still like amusing because Bill Murray's amusing. Um, he can say anything and it's just going to, his tone is just going to carry the the humor. But then as he's, as they're all walking away, there's this guy in the background who's on skates and he's spinning around and then Bill Murray is spinning around and they kind of had the same orange shirt. And I was like, what, what is happening here? Do people do this in parks? Like I was so confused as a kid <laughs> trying to digest all this information. Um, and it made no sense, but I saw, I, I checked with my mom and my brother about, I couldn't remember if this was the first movie I saw in a the theater. I would have been three. And so I checked, um, uh, because they, I remember them talking about how I got really scared in the, in the theater, um, with the, the dogs. Yeah. And I, I don't remember any of that. I kind of remember sitting next to my brother and that's it. I remember like being in the seat and seeing my brother next to me. And I probably couldn't see over the seat in front of me. <laughs> like, and so I, I asked them and my brother, my mom didn't remember nothing. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> and so I asked my brother and he was like, yeah, we actually saw it back to back. We saw it twice. Like in theater. Like you watched it and then you stayed there and watched it again. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know whose call that was, but they were right. I don't care what Todd says. <laughs> <laughs> And so, but my first movie, apparently for those keeping record, um, I had to dig up my, my baby book, which is bare. It's, there's nothing in my baby book, um, except my first movie. <laughs> my oh, mom cool. actually recorded that and I was barely two months old and she had me in a movies already, um, watching of all people, Robin Williams and Popeye. Oh my God. That's, That's incredible. That, Yeah. <laughs> that's wow two months old first off mom what are you doing (laughs) you just terrorized an entire theater of people she is not letting that kid get in the way of her entertainment (laughs) that's right (laughs) but yeah and so i don't know i grew up with this thing man and i it there's so many moments from this movie that i've been saying as a part of my daily life bite your head off man um like the that must be some cockroach um like all of it is just part of my oh, personality it's that, embedded i loved that by the way because he's smoking <laughs> yeah he's smoking a cigar and they get into the elevator and there's a big no smoking sign right behind <laughs> them right. it's 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 such a great little like there's no reason for the no smoking sign to be there or for him to actually be smoking <laughs> right. but why not why you know not? that's great. little layers yeah. little touches um yeah. yeah you slime me we used to play ghostbusters you know growing up and have proton packs all that and it's funny because i was really excited when the second one came out um and i remember going to see that and was just very underwhelmed and so it, I, it's funny oh. the one that you actually really like is the one that i was like ah oh, they, they missed it um, well i i say i liked it um, i don't remember 
Although a lot of people love it because it uh, has its own charms now. And I think carrying the first movie into the second movie was too much. Now, maybe if I go back and rewatch it, maybe I enjoy it a lot more just because there's no pressure to like it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. But no, I loved it. I love there's so many little details. I, I scrubbed through um, the special features um i bought the the blu-ray and they have some special features and there's a few things that i kind of picked out it's it's not the best special features <laughs> uh <laughs> because it's them kind of sitting around talking about it and you a few cutaways but you don't really get a good in-depth look on how they're accomplishing certain things um, because they are doing some pretty like amazing effects especially you know for its time and i just imagine using some of these effects in modern movies um, what you could do is so much better. Like the ghosts, especially I'm really impressed with the ghosts, uh, because it's doing two things. It's combining puppetry, um, with kind of a green screen rotoscoping effect. Um, and so like the ghost librarian at the beginning, right. She's sitting there floating, well, sitting there and floating are two different things, but she's floating there. Um, and, and she's paging through the book and she's holding that book. And that book is not transparent. It's a real book, right? Whereas she's entirely transparent. Um, and so the way they do that, uh, of course, is from what I gather is they shot it against a black screen instead of a green screen and then rotoscoped her um, and made her transparent, but then also separately rotoscoped the book itself so that it would not be transparent. So they're going frame by frame. Oh, so so they rotoscoped both of them but just made her transparent. So she is literally physically holding the book. Yeah, that is actually her holding that book. Okay. Wow. That's, it's, that's it's really impressive because it's all, and they don't, I don't think they would do that now. Now I feel like they would, or at least maybe after that, I feel because I've seen other, other films do that similar effect, except they're having these two separate shots. Uh, and now you're leafing through the book and the person that's holding the book doesn't really look like they're holding the book. There's just this, discombobulation where I was watching the book and I wasn't trying to do it. I was just like, Whoa, those pages are like in the most subtlest way reacting to her. Like there's a little fold in the page based on where she was placing her finger that was pressing the page. And I was just like, man, that's, that's crazy. And so I was like surprised when I, when I saw that, you know, okay, that's how you do that. And my God, that's attention to detail for sure. But then some of the other shots, like the uh the ghost coming out of the subway uh similar now you're having a, a another puppet that you're you're staging and and going frame by frame they they said that the the process on some of those shots took like weeks for one second of motion wow and it was just this painstaking process and, and they're now, working with film guys and they're working with film that's that, amazing that's amazing yeah that's probably where a lot of the 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 process is killing you because you're having to do an exposure for a different exposure and layer it in with the camera move. And I mean, there's just, you know, 10 different things happening. Cause then on top of all of that, once you get to the end, you're having to create a new exposure that layers all those things down onto one actual strip of film. Um, and so it's just this painstaking, painful process. I mean, it's, it's impressive, but it also goes to show just, uh, the level of discipline, um, let alone all the other like matte paintings that they have of New York for backgrounds and sometimes for like other explosions when the building explodes. 
um, the top comes off the, the firehouse. Like that's a matte painting and you're staging this miniature, I'm guessing on top of, it's just crazy. The, the layers that go into making something 40 years ago, whereas now it's like half completed CG stuff that they're just shipping out the door because they got a, uh, a release date on the schedule. It's like, well, this could use another five passes, but eh, good enough. Whereas these guys are like, we're going to not leave this room for a month. And then yeah. we're going to have one second of footage. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> my God. Dear God. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things I really love about it. I think the story and the writing of it is impressive. Um, so I'll run through some of that because I think it's incredibly efficient storytelling. And, and we'll kind of compare that to what people do now. For one thing, this is comedy. And I think that carries different expectations and allows a lot more leeway into how you tell your story. And so that's one big factor um, as we're kind of parsing some of this. Um, but for instance, you know, we meet Venkman at the beginning. We had that initial hint of a ghost scare in the library uh, and immediately cut to Venkman. And he's running a not so honest experiment, right? He's hitting on his subject um, while shocking the other guy. Uh, and it's just, what I love about it is there, there's no backstory to him whatsoever. We understand who he is, who his character is through his choices and his dialogue. Like it's all through action. And I love that. Um, in a similar way, we meet Lewis and Dana in the hallway there, and we immediately understand their dynamic just through the staging of the scene, as well as uh, their, the way their characters are dressed even, you know, um, and through their tone with each other. Uh, the performances are carrying 90% of that, but the writing is there too. And it's, it's helping you understand just these two characters, who they are to each other, um, because that's important for as the film develops. And so he's a cloying nerd and she's this kind but evasive uh, hot neighbor, quote unquote, right? Where that's how she's treated throughout the movie. And so you can see this dynamic of uh, the the nice pretty girl and the nerdy clueless neighbor and how they are just ill combined but because they're neighbors they are thrown together um and as in an odd couple kind of way and it's great and that you you don't need to tell us any of that you don't need to tell us we don't need to see lewis at his accountant firm you know ringing up customers and like we don't need any of that and in a similar way uh we get two detailed ghost sequences and that's really it, right? We get the librarian where they meet her and fail. And then we get Slimer where they meet him and win. And then otherwise, we cut to a montage of uh, after Slimer immediately instead of seeing them go on another run. We cut to a montage of just post-ghost wins, right? Smoking traps coming out and they're covered in stuff and magazine covers and interviews. It's a really easy, free sequence with no chunky visual effects we don't see a single ghost i don't think in that whole little sequence and and simon actually didn't like that really well i i agree with you i think it's it's great mm -hmm. efficient storytelling and, and we talked about it a little bit actually because he said he said why are we seeing them like beat the ghosts like he wanted to see more ghosts or whatever but that's fine that i think that's good that's a that's a good thing because yeah. what they're able to do then is save all the real ghosts for the montage after the containment shutdown mm -hmm. uh, explodes. Mm -hmm. And so now it's just short snippets of ghosts instead of these long drawn out sequences. And it does a number of things for you. One, 
way cheaper, yeah. right? If you want to do a whole new Slimer sequence, that's going to eat up a lot of budget. But it's also more visually interesting uh, because you're just able to cut to one ghost to another ghost to another ghost. Um, and it's just like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, and so it's, uh, I think, a lot more exciting to see them all kind of juxtaposed against each other. And it also, because of all that, builds the scale of the world in our minds. I think it far better than another protracted ghost hunting sequence. And I, I, it allows for a, you to get through to the story, the things that actually matter, while giving you a taste of the supernatural, other things that are out there. Yeah. And budget, again, is probably the primary motivator for something like that. But also just general runtime. This is 145, and I think it's a very, very tight 145. There's not a lot of waste that's happening in here as far as uh, story sequences. And in most of the scenes, I feel like are just these little one, two minute sequences that you get in and out of and allows you to breathe for three to five minutes in all these other sequences. So if you can get in and out, get a hit of race dance, uh, shouting jargon at you, um, and then cut to, you know, the emotional stuff, the relationship stuff, that's really going to drive the heartbeat of the story, right? Peter trying to get with Dana, um, Janine trying to get with Egon and how oblivious is he to every time she's oh trying to God. make a pass. Yeah. <laughs> like he's very serious and all he thinks about is, um, uh, moles, spores, and fungus. Um, and so, Oh, when he said that, Simon laughed. He goes, he, he started laughing and he goes, he goes, he could have said anything. <laughs> He could have said anything, but he says mold, spores, and fungus, and he's laughing. He got it. That was great. That's awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, overall, the whole structure of the film allows for us to just keep jumping forward in time without hammering needless story beats, right? We go from Venkman running a sham experiment uh, to the librarian ghost fell to being kicked off campus, choosing to start their business, getting a loan in a building. And then we cut to Dana, who sees their ad. And just seeing that ad fills in a lot of in-between of from them getting a car to the, to us seeing them in an ad. You fill in all, all that gap. Everything that it takes from getting started to being ready to go and run your business. Like that ad says they are open. We are ready to go at a moment's notice now. And you just fill all that in by cutting to someone else, Dana, uh, who's about to experience something that's going to impact the rest of the film. Like super, super tight, right? Throughout the entire film, we're just, we're never really doing a lot of backstory, virtually none, right? There's no hiring of Janine or figuring out their name. What should we call ourselves or building the proton packs, right? We just cut to the important. Yeah. Bits. That was a surprise for me. Right. I, I, rem I thought I was like, did they not like figure out like a containment thing? No, they just had it. They that just was, had was it. Cool. They, 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 it's Egon coming out of the, the librarian and saying, with these new readings, I can now do X, Y, and Z. And he just does it like we, and it gets you a, a number of things, um, but it, it's just so much tighter and cleaner and able to just stay with the, the, the heartbeat of the story where you can now put the comedy in. You don't need other films. I feel like would absolutely waste so much time with all this other stuff. Like who is... Who is Venkman really? Let's see him failing in college or uh, doing some other stuff. And uh, it's just all needless. And instead of doing any of that, you know, building the proton pack and having these weird zany like, well, that didn't work. And people smoking, you know, right. Uh, their hair on fire and just like, oh, 
one more time guys or whatever stupid stuff other films we've seen that bit a billion times um and it's just not fresh or interesting and instead of doing that now when we go to turn on the proton pack it's a little hair raising and it creates some comedic tension which could have been lost with all the extended sequences of futzing with the the proton packs um and i love uh, that moment and i'll come back to the, that here in a minute but by and large the comedy here is is super downplayed right there's not a ton of on the nose jokes it's all situational and character based it's letting the straight guy play in contrast to the game show host is what dana calls uh, uh vankman and it's it works it, everyone takes the ghost situation fairly seriously right ray and egon super serious overly so which gives them their quirky silliness and sets up a really great contrast you know to vankman because vankman I think is an amazing character that brings the world to life because he is skeptical. Yeah. Even though, right. He has a degree, a quote unquote degree in parapsychology. I don't think you can get that in America. Um, You you go other places uh, with less rigorous standards of of academic, you know, uh, accomplishment. Let's say (laughs) let's dance around the fact that you can't study ghosts. And I don't feel like I need to spell it out why you can't study ghosts. If you need that completed, then it's okay. another podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a different podcast. Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, for me, I, I agree. Uh, Bill Murray makes this movie for 100. me. Like he's he's the reason why I enjoy this movie. If I do, it's it's log, like locking into how does how does he deliver a line like when when Dana is possessed and she's in bed and he's basically like getting her off of him and he says this line this funny line i don't even maybe you remember it (laughs) but he says this funny line or something like she has this voice and he says oh you'd be a good vo artist or like you'd you'd be a good voiceover artist or something he says some line or i don't know but some line and it's hilarious and it's in the middle it's just a throwaway line but it's in the middle of of something that's kind of serious it's a possession you know yeah but I'm sitting there laughing because of him. He he just can turn any line into something that is at least lighthearted, if not funny as hell. Absolutely. You know, and it could be a throwaway line. Yeah. yeah, he carries it. And I think for this film, a lot of it is coming through this idea that this guy doesn't take any of this seriously. Like he's experiencing these things and yet he's He's completely unaffected and he almost doesn't believe it. Like there's one part of him that's like, what are we doing? Like the the whole library ghost sequence, Venkman is looking for ways to discount the phenomenon. Like he's questioning the librarian's mental history and capacity, right? He's throwing out, are you menstruating? And the, even the guy in, next to him was like, wait, what does that matter? Um, and he's using his his role as a scientist as deflection, like, hey. I'm a scientist, man, back off. Um, And so it's just his way of trying to figure out why is this bullshit? Not how can this be true? Because Ray and Egon are doing enough of that for everyone. Like they're already believing before they've seen anything. Whereas he's playing the complete opposite 180, you know, contrast of I'm not believing any of this, even when I do see it. Um, And so you write, he writes off the stacked books very sarcastically. He's like, yeah, no human would ever stack books like this. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of looking at these guys like, what are y'all guys? They're books. Like, what are we doing? And so his whole persona is deeply sarcastic and unaffected. 
And I think it even plays into some of the physical stuff because after that huge explosion at the end where it's like no one could have survived that. I, I'm so glad you said that. I was watching it thinking, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> but yes, you're right. And that's the that's also the layer of comedy. They're downplaying everything that happens. And everyone is covered in marshmallow, like head to toe, just foaming out, you know, everywhere, except Vankman. Yeah. Right. He walks out and he's got a little on his hair. <laughs> And everyone's like, you okay? You okay? Yeah, you okay? Peter, you okay? And he's like, fine. (laughs) And you look at him and it's just such a great downplayed, underdelivered line. Like, dude, I'm fine. (laughs) Like, what do you, what, look at me. Yeah. And to that end, the downplaying of everything, they do that throughout the whole film. Like, I love that when the key master and the gatekeeper come together and kiss, what happens is that Dana dips lewis down for the kiss Mm -hmm. right but they don't play it up it's not like a a zany moment it's still very dramatic right the the music is pounding and it's this big moment and so they're downplaying the comedic effect of this woman um you know dipping a guy for a kiss like it's no one's trying to be funny in this movie it's all just there and you're either going to grab onto it or you're not um same thing <laughs> with with the opening with Venkman shocking the college student and lying to him while being super kind to the cute girl it's just hilarious it's him and the audience reading the situation and picking up the the context of it and enjoying that for what it is instead of most comedy you know that gets made is so much bigger and it's almost winking at the audience like you get it you get it you get this joke and it's they don't they never do that. It's just you you're there, you're not. They're gonna move on. They're playing this world to the nines. In a similar way, I love the cut whenever they're out front of the building at the end and they're about to go in. They're like being celebrated by the crowd, almost dying, and they crawl out and they're like, Yeah, we're fine, we're gonna kick its ass. Um, and it's just this huge amount of energy. And then we cut to them in the building gasping with their proton packs and they're like the tedium of the stairs, and they even use the music that's just very boring and it's just oh we got to climb all these stairs this is not what heroes do heroes are at the top already and they're just you know out of breath i love that contrast that immediate like excitement to tedium um it's a great cut and again it's it's funny if you let it be and if not you know not not everyone needs to laugh at every joke um and i think that's the the gift also of not leaning too hard into the comedy is that if a joke doesn't work it doesn't pull you out you just kind of keep staying with the story. Oh, that's a good. I never thought about that. That makes that makes a lot of sense. That's wow. I think you just put comedy in perspective for me, actually. Mm. Because, me too, actually. I didn't really. But that's why a lot of comedies don't work for us, right? Is because they're they're waiting for you to laugh, creating this space for it, using this, you know, the snare and, and hi-hat. And you're just like, okay, I get it. Can we yeah. stop farting and move on? Yeah, instead of just allowing it to be what it is, either it's funny or it's not, let's go on to the next thing. You you know, downplayed comedy comedy is definitely I mean, I'm not I'm not a I don't know, like I think comedy is very hard to do well. And I think that has a lot to do with it is because, you know, there there are these pauses for reactions, you know, and I like I'm not in a nightclub watching a stand-up comedian. You know, with like, you know, a hundred other people laughing around me, I'm sitting, you know, with a couple of people or alone watching. So yeah, treat me like, treat me like I didn't get it. 
and just go on to the next thing, you yes. know, which this movie does really well. So just yeah. Keeping it moving. And to that end, like the sound and the music, I think do some really nice things for one, whenever they first turn on the proton packs, I died because the sound is so violent and like loud. Um, and it just caught me by surprise because everyone reacts to it too. Obviously that's a post effect. Um, but for them, they, they turn it on and they just immediately like, Whoa, and they start edging around the, the elevator. And I think it's one of those things where leaving headroom in the sound mix really helps pay off that moment so that, you know, you can cut to something much louder. Um, and it, it brings up the layer of tension of like, whoa, this thing is way more powerful than these guys should be handling. Like Vankman and no universe should be in charge of a whatever a neutron collider you know this yeah that's that's a terrible idea um and in fact in that later in that sequence right there's uh that moment where spangler is like uh peter shorten your throw you know i don't want to get my face burned off and we cut to to vankman and he's looking at his his pack and he's like i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't cross the streams yeah, yeah. Important safety note. And so mm -hmm. thanks. Thanks, Egon. And so the same same thing, like leaving all that, you know, headroom in the top end of the 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 mix also allows you to play up the big action sequences, the explosions. I imagine getting this remixed in like 5.1, which I'm sure there was no such thing in 1983, allows probably a really fun uh theatric experience. Um, if you know, if they've gone back and, and been able to do that. Uh yeah. But sound wise also music wise i thought this theme song great for the montage it's super corny right but it acts as an ad and so it's very cheesy but it explains who they are and what they do and you pair that with the visuals of them doing it and so it becomes this very corny very fun and memorable thing and so you no one gets left behind right that's the kind of song you would expect in someone's radio jingle. Like, oh yeah, this is, you know, what we do. By contrast though, my favorite music in the mo in the movie is after the explosion of the uh the containment unit and we play that uh song Magic and it's just this weird trippy funky track while all the ghosts are escaping and we're watching them kind of pop up around town. Um that's a very I understand the dilemma there. Like you need to find a track that works and creates a, a layer of tension. Um, but you also don't want it to be scary necessarily. You want it to be psychedelic yeah. and, you know, ethereal. And so finding the right tone for that, I can imagine they demoed, you know, a hundred tracks looking for the right thing and stumbling on this weird little thing, which I went, I was curious. Cause I was like, why have I never actually heard this song wherever this music is coming from? I've never heard it. And so I, I pulled it up on YouTube and it's the weirdest thing in the world because the first 90% of that song is like a generic radio pop love song. It'd be like, I don't know, stitching on whatever the B 52s love shack, almost not quite that, that far, but a very generic pop love song. And then stitching that onto the end of it. You're, it's just this total tonal shift at the end of the track and you're like what what this guy must have been high as hell making this song because there's no reason this should have popped out of what i was listening to before and, and i think either there's another mix of that song that i haven't heard yet or 
they did a complete different remix for the for the movie, which happens a lot, of course. And and because they're doing things in the track uh, for the movie that really aren't happening in the song itself. Um, I just that's a really inspired whoever whoever made that call. I don't know in '83 if you know you necessarily had uh, sound supervisors or whatever, but they they crushed it because that's yeah. a that's a really cool uh, moment to me. Um, now to your point. This entire movie still feels dated. I'm not going to sit here and say that you could release this in theaters today like you can some old school films. Um, you can't. Like it, this, it would. It, there's a number of things that that make sure it's dated. Um, not the least of which is the audio itself. Right? It's a lot thinner. Like once you get to the 90s, audio takes a, a leap forward, um, as we've talked about in some recent episodes. But here, it's a little thinner. It just doesn't have the the full resonance and the bassiness that that you get out of later technology whether that's the capturing or the the mic itself i don't know but that at a minimum um let alone all the wardrobe and just the general vibe of early 80s yeah. uh, but cinematography yeah and that's the thing with the cinematography though is it's it's comedy so there's probably not that much different other than just the lighting itself uh because a lot of comedy still kind of use this deep depth of field um and this most of this film there's only a few shallow shots that like oh if you pulled that frame out that's a good looking shot and literally there's maybe like two of those shots one of them off the top of my head is the when they're looking up at the building after that that right before the big quake happens um there's this little weird shot this handheld walk shot where we start on i think it's a stance um, and we move over to, to look at Venkman or, or Egon or someone, um, but it's really shallow and it's, it's a funky shot, but it works because of the, the sequence. Um, but it's super shallow and it's like, man, that's a really nice looking shot actually. Um, mm. but not a lot, like that's few and far between, but that's comedy. Like, I think it also helps the set design isn't super nice. Um, like a lot of the, the, the props, like the, the rooftop it's not super high end in terms of this feels, I don't know, super dramatic. And I think that's playing into the comedy. Now, it still probably looked really good for 83. It just hasn't aged particularly well. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some things that I think have aged really well. I thought 80% of the, the the dogs were really nice whenever they're just kind of sitting there and making their faces. Uh, that looks hella good. Their stop motion animation stuff, super dated, of course. That's how that goes. There's not a lot of stop motion stuff that isn't going to date well. Like, that's mm-hmm. just par for the course. But it's still, I don't know, it still kind of transports you, especially if you're familiar with it. Um, but because it's comedy, I think it still plays just enough to for new audiences. Like, it, I'm both surprised and not surprised that Simon had a mostly good time. Yeah. Same thing with some of the other stuff. The, the, the proton itself, the, the particles like super corny. A lot of that's, you know, hand-drawn animation kind of stuff, super cheesy. Um, it doesn't always line up perfectly well with what's happening on screen. Um, and honestly, that's stuff I picked out as a kid. Like, just because I grew up in the eighties doesn't mean I couldn't tell good effects from bad effects. <laughs> you know, one line he laughed at that I was like, surprised they laughed at was the was the ray when someone tells you asks you if you're a god you say yes which is what you were talking about earlier yeah. 
He actually laughed. I said nothing, and he he laughed. And he reset it again. He has this thing where he watches movies, and he'll if a line if he likes a line, he'll repeat it immediately. And so movies that he really likes a lot, he's just constantly talking over there, repeating lines that that are said. Just like every you know one minute or thirty seconds, he's saying lines. I have to say, dude, come on, man. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, he he repeated that line. Ray, That's, someone asked you if you're a guy. So I thought you'd uh, like that. Yeah, there's so many little moments. The only other little cinematography thing that I thought was you know funny and and logical was the Ecto one. The first time they they take the car out of the the firehouse, um, which is a whole funny aspect to this. They're they're kind of playing firemen, right? They have their fire hoses with the the jet packs or jet packs, the the proton packs, and. They're living in a, a firehouse and their their vehicle is this ambulance hearse looking thing. Really fun. And the first time they take the car out, it, they do this speed ramp as they're leaving the station to give us some of this like chaotic frenzy juice. Like it's going, it's really going, isn't it? <laughs> it's so corny, uh, but I don't know. It's endearing again because it's a comedy. I give it a lot more leeway as opposed to. Uh, if you show me a, a 1983 drama, I'm probably going to give it hell for yeah. uh, the the pacing and, you know, bad visual effects, all of that. I'm like, nope, can't get away with that. Like, you, well, you need- And it's also endearing for you, you know, yeah. like it's a movie, it's one of your earliest films and yeah. you remember loving it. And so so there's probably well, I don't I don't I'm not saying that there's like a bias there, but I'm saying there is there's some level of endearment that that you bestow upon that everyone should bestow i mean i one of my favorite movies was the sunshine boys growing up and i showed simon that and he was bored to tears like he <laughs> was nothing about it that he thought was hilarious but i can Good tell you, you every simon. single line you know like so anyway yeah you're right i mean to some degree i definitely went in hoping to like it still and the fact that i i was really just genuinely laughing i don't really laugh at movies mm-hmm. um especially if i'm by myself like I, I, I just don't, I kind of spot the humor and I enjoy the humor, uh, but I'm not going to laugh. Like I could go watch some, a lot of Judd Apatow films and still find the humor in it, but I'm not going to laugh. And for me to be sitting by myself, like rolling, like there's all these little moments. There's this, whenever, <laughs> when they get, they finally get to the, the top of the building or the 22nd floor to Dana's apartment <laughs> and Ray uh, is looking around and he sees the stairs and he's uh, and he asks, like, where do those stairs go? And Peter looks and he says, up. <laughs> and, it's like, that's, and then suddenly Peter's like taking charge. Uh, he, he starts going up, uh, walking towards the stairs like, yeah, let's do this. And then like this thunder hits and all this lightning crackling in the sky. And he pauses. And he's like, yep, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. And he so Simon making- laughed at that, too. Like <laughs> these all these moments you're calling out like, no, that's that's right. It lands. It lands. <laughs> It's so good. Like, it's just uh, simple. Yeah. Again, downplayed humor. But I do. Yes, I went in with some bias and went in hoping to. But, you know, we've reviewed other films, I think, 12 months ago. We did one that I was really excited about and ended up hating. Right. Um, Talking about a a, a well-known, you know, Predator movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I won't say which. (laughs) Yeah. But no, but like, I, I'm not afraid to also like completely turn on a film. Um, yeah. And that's happened with other films that I remember loving as a kid. And I go back and watch it and I'm like, 
this is terrible. Why did I like this? I should have never done this because it could have been good in my head forever. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I think, again, the, the comedy aspect really helps smooth out a lot of the things that, you know, would otherwise rub me wrong. I can see that. Yeah. It, and they and they just, man, they went the, the extra mile, like uh, hearing some of the things they did. Now, some things it was a little sketchy. Like there's the the scene where after the the big explosion and the marshmallow man gets uh, destroyed, you have the shot of uh, Walter Peck getting just slammed with marshmallow, uh, right? Foam. And apparently when they shot that, he didn't know what that was going to happen. They told him, Hey, you're going to come stand here. And then, uh, uh, and that'll be the scene. And so, he goes and uh, running around doing his thing, right? And then he's, he lands on his mark and he looks up and sees what's about to happen. He covers his head and they just hit him with all that that foam. That ain't um, cool. It, not cool. He was not happy. Apparently, this is what the, the visual effects guys were saying. Like, he was not ha- ha- uh, very happy. Ivan Reitman apparently didn't let him know exactly what was going to happen. And so his screaming and yelling might have been very genuine reaction wow okay Um, i believe it i don't know apparently he was fine but it's just one of those like hey give me a heads up when you're gonna dump you know 50 pounds of of goo on me but they also were struggling with the uh the foam suit the the marshmallow man walking around which they were like these suits cost like 25 grand each and they had three of them um and the guy kept freaking out um the 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 actor in the suit uh, because you you have to light them on fire at the end (laughs) And, you know, they're taking a lot of precautions around that. They're not just like, yep, here you go. Good luck. You know, it's not that, uh, which probably was happening in other films and that kind of thing. But they light him on fire and I think he's just freaking out. And so he lands, he just falls face down and which is the signal to like, put me out. Something's wrong. Something's happening. And so they put him out and what they need him to do is hit the building, like walk up, slam into the building and give, give him that look. Um, and he just keeps like not doing it. And so they b- go through two suits of this guy getting lit on fire and falling down. They're like, okay, we got one more. Let's, let's get another guy in here. And they're like, look, we just need you to do this one thing, get lit on fire and then hit the building. <laughs> Is it so hard? And the guy's like, I, all right, yeah, no problem. And the thing is the, the suit is made of this. Uh, styrofoam or whatever it is, um, you know, some kind of toxic thing that once you light it on fire, you can't breathe it in. And so yeah, he, they're like, you have to wear supplied oxygen because it's too toxic for you. And the guy didn't apparently didn't want to wear it um, or something. Um, and they're like, no, 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 you're going to wear this. <laughs> like uh, we know that, you know, there's a, it's a loose cannon kind of idea, but no, 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 let's, let's be safe. And so he did, of course. Um, and they got the shot and everything was fine, but it was just one of those things where you, you, you only have so much time and so much resources to make this work. And I think the beauty of a lot of these guys working in the visual effects department, which were guys that worked on like star Wars, um, and, and other films like that. Uh, and one of the, they're, they're constantly thinking about the script says X, what do we actually need to make the scene work? And so one of those things, um, they were talking to the, whoever, the, the director, Ivan Reitman, and they were like, okay, look, the script is saying the marshmallow man rises out of the East river. You don't want to do that. That's going to cost you so much more money and we can save you, you know, hundreds of thousands. If instead we just introduce them through the buildings, like we just catch glimpses of them before you cut to a big shot. 
Uh, it's more efficient. It makes more logical sense within the context of the scene. And it's way cheaper. Do that. <laughs> like, so they, that was part of their job. And that's the beauty of working with professionals who understand their role um, and also understand what you're asking them to do and how it affects the story and how they can do all of that with less money. Mm -hmm. And that's an amazing like resource that you have when you hire the right people to work on a project. And that's the, that's the thing with working about, you know, working on films with passionate people because they care about what they're doing. They're not just punching the clock. Uh, if you get the wrong people who come in and, and are just trying to punch the clock and it's like, okay, you want it in the river. I'll just do it in the river. They're not actually trying to work with you and talk through what's important for the story. They're just there to push, you know, X's and O's and like run the play. And it's like, no, let, let's, let's work together to make something better. Like mm -hmm. let's figure out the intention and how we can execute it with less money, less resources, but also help the story in uh, the energy that they're telling. Cause that cut is really cool. It really is. I mean, kudos to Ivan Reitman then for listening to them. If that really did happen, um, and they made that suggestion and for him to sit, to not say, no, 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 we want it to, you know, we want that visual to say, huh, what would it be like to just reveal him? Like he just is, he just exists kind of like the, 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 the T-Rex in, in Jurassic Park. Where does the T-Rex come from? Screen left, whatever. He just th is there. Okay. Yeah. Between the buildings. Okay, cool. I could see that. Yeah. Great. And that's going to save us how much? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> fantastic we, i mean we get another suit we have three suits now for the burning scene instead of like one suit that's that's going to be ruined because it's going to be from coming from water like yeah okay great love it kudos to to the director for then not just saying no no no. i have a vision for entertaining the idea even if it had nothing to do with money for just like the story's sake of like mm -hmm. do we really need to reveal where it came from no it came from from uh, uh, Ray's mind is where it came from. You know, that's it. So, Love yeah, it. great, great point. Really cool. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's as far as my my notes go. I I think it's still a really fun movie. Um, Bill Murray is a king. Dan Aykroyd, my God, like just genius. There's all these little moments that happen that finally make sense to me as an adult again. Like aim for the flat top. I didn't know what that meant as a kid, um, that it's a, a hair reference. And apparently casting Gozer, they originally were thinking about Paul Rubin to play Gozer mm. and then uh, moved on from him to Grace Jones. They were thinking about, and then for whatever reason, didn't end up using her and used you know, this other, uh, I'm guessing she's a model. Yeah, I think so. Right. And, they styled her clearly after Grace Jones, though, uh, because yeah. the, I think the flat top came from what writing around, oh, this is going to be Grace Jones. Um, and so she, you know, still influenced the movie in a significant way. And so, yeah, things like that. I didn't really ever understand the pun um, whenever uh, Ray spots the the marshmallow man climbing up the building and he says roast him um it's like it's a marshmallow right you roast anyway mm -hmm. like there's all these little puns that are happening they're throwing around um it's fun it's silly uh yeah anyway um i could watch this in a movie theater again today and have a really good time <laughs> wow we are so opposite yeah. on this this is great this is great <laughs> i i absolutely did not have that any of that uh feeling watching the film but 
you know, to each his own. And I think that this is, this is definitely something that, you know, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad my, my son had some good enjoyment from it and, and, you know, it was good to revisit, but I'm, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Nice. Very cool. That's awesome. Uh, So what are you going to recommend this week? So this week I'm going to recommend a film that like, I really ended up liking, but I, I, I don't know if anybody else likes it, but I'm, I think I told you about it. Uh, it's, it's out now, I think on, on Apple. Um, no one will save you. It's a, I think I told you about it. It's a alien on, visitation movie. Oh, on Hulu. You, oh, maybe it's on Hulu. Yeah. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Sorry. It's on Hulu, but I didn't want to watch it because I like, I was completely judging it from the font they used. <laughs> And I hated the font. Uh, and so I thought this is, you know, just trash. And I want to recommend it because it's just it's it's an it's just interesting. There's no dialogue in the whole movie. There's one. I mean, there's just no dialogue. So it's interesting shooting a film with no dialogue. And, you know, you have to rely completely on the on the actors. And um, they actually you know, I think I think on films like that, you expect to not see the the creatures because you think, OK, they probably don't have a budget, so they don't have a budget for the creatures or whatever. But you see that you have experience with the creatures. It's like it's like a full on story and it's not the most amazing, you know, alien story, but there is subtext. And it I can tell that it's actually a story about an individual and and working through something there's a there's a a parallel meaning behind it um nice. which you kind of understand but you really get it towards the end so dude cool i will check yeah. that out um yeah, it's fun and it's quick it's an hour and a half oh yeah that's in and out yeah i'll take it i'm gonna recommend this is hard because i i, I had two and i couldn't quite figure out like i was leaning towards three amigos just because uh you get some of these same classic actors doing uh a comedy they're much more big comedy instead i'm gonna go with another childhood favorite um probably super cheesy as well um it's called explorers it's the first movie i saw ethan hawken as a kid and this was a it's it's a kid's movie so it's about kids creating a device that you kind of have your your egon spangler and the group who's creating things um and they create a device that allows them to travel into outer space um and you know see what signal they they pick up a signal and it's like what is this signal where is it trying to take us um so they go to wherever this signal is being sourced and so i think it's a really fun kids movie um if you carry those expectations in i haven't seen it in a really long time um but i i imagine it's still pretty fun uh yeah so it's called explorers it's probably streaming out there somewhere there's like a maybe a 20 percent chance <laughs> um, but it's fun it's kids movie science fiction takes itself you know fairly seriously uh, at points but also knows where to have fun and and to not take itself so seriously and so it's a really good clash of of science fiction and and you know subtle stylized humor uh yeah with kids and so fun stuff yeah. explorers yeah stay tuned for next week we continue looking at ghost stories um with a surprise low budget big hit called paranormal activity um, I told Todd I was surprised that he would he he would want to cover this one. I felt like 
<laughs> this I don't know like to me this is probably funny to you but like I was like that it, it feels beneath Todd <laughs> like what it feels beneath you <laughs> it's voyeuristic it's exactly on track with me it's like i don't <laughs> so yeah. stay tuned for that next week and if you're enjoying the show don't forget subscribe drop us a review leave us a note uh if there's something you want us to cover uh we're we're happy to take a look and so if you want to comment on this episode let us know what you think does it hold up do you still do you still like it as a 2023 audience member or do you only like it as a 1980s uh, viewer? Um, those are two different experiences. And so you can leave that note at the pestlepodcast.com slash ghostbusters. Are you team Wes or team Todd? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And our quote of the day, I'm glad you picked one from Bill Murray. And this one is great. Our quote of the day is from Bill Murray. Don't think about your errors or failures. Otherwise, you'll never do a thing. I. It's such... It's so spot on. So my my kids, they make, you know, little videos and, and films and stuff. And but my son is so type A, you know, if something isn't right, you know, then like if so and so can't participate or whatever, then they, he just doesn't do it. And I keep trying to tell him you can't look at stuff like that. You just have to go do it. Go make it. Don't worry about, you know, if your last one wasn't very good, you don't, you, you know, or if so-and-so didn't do a good performance, whatever, just go make something. It's, it's don't worry about things that are imperfect. And yeah, it's a, yeah. If you, if you worry about that kind of stuff, then yeah, you're never going to make anything because it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. You're always going to assume the worst is going to happen um, instead of respecting the the creative process. I mean, we talk a lot about the Ira Glass quote about, uh, the gap, right? Like you have this vision in your head of what you want to create. And then once you create your thing, it looks nothing like the vision in your head. Um, and so there's this gap between your vision and what you're doing. But if you stay in there, that thing that got you into it in the first place, your vision, your taste, your, your ability to see something greater than what you're doing, you'll eventually get better at closing that gap down until, you know, you're pretty much making the thing that you're, you're trying to make. And, and at the end of the day, man, the Ghostbusters didn't let their failure stop them. They got, they got, they lost their jobs. Their pets' heads were falling off. Um, <laughs> like uh, they lost all their money. Um, their first time seeing a ghost, they they wet the bed. Like that didn't stop them, Todd. They went and still decided we're gonna go bust some ghosts, and they did mm-hmm. it, Todd. They ghost busted everyone. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. Nice. I'm excited because now we're going to take a a listen to a new track from Mad Valley. Anything you want to say before we hit play on this, man? Yeah, I I guess so. Just just quickly. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. Um, I have a couple, but this one is really special. Um, I think it was one of the first uh, tracks that I started working on when I when I thought that I had something kind of interesting and special. And this one in particular is you know, it's about my kids and, and the way things I want to leave the the only thing I want to leave for them. And then, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's meaningful for me. So, so yeah, one of my favorite songs on the record. Nice. Let's take a listen. All right.
See why that's one of your favorites man my god i love that opening that huge synth opening and it just slowly builds add that little i don't know heartbeat kick drum it's just a it's a really great build then you add more layers once that that verse hits a lot of body to it it feels like it just gets bigger uh, which it already felt big and so finding ways to do that is probably uh tricky the the lyrics so simple so sparse really creates a lot of emotion um and a lot of depth um maybe ironically and yet you know you you're doing a lot this feels like a very patient thing um and the breakdown i love that breakdown because it's comes this from this big thing to this other it's still 
It doesn't get small though. A lot of breakdowns feel like, you know, they, they try to go smaller, but this isn't doing that. It's, it's a different kind of big with your, with the, I don't want to call it a choir, but it's like the, the ahs and um, the, the echo of this kind of guitar, you know, uh, punching you a little bit. Um, it's, it's overall, this feels like a very patient song um, in a way that, I don't know. Your writing, I don't feel like always goes to the most patient place in terms of uh, the classic Don't Boris Get to the Chorus. Um, and yet, I mean, this song is still doing that. It's it's not that, you know, it's it's not getting to its point very quickly. It is right off the bat. Uh, but yet it's still because of that sparseness um, and the repetition. It doesn't feel like four minutes. It feels like both... 60 seconds and 10 minutes like it's it's a weird kind of otherworldly place i think yeah tell me about this man um what do you what do you hear whenever you're you're making this well i'm glad that you feel that way for for this one i i i wanted to like sonically feel like i was this is 10 years ago for me because i i cannot make anything with anyone else in mind I just can't. I can't do it. I've tried and I can't do it. And so for this one in particular, I, I had these chords, which, by the way, that's all the song is, is four chords looped the entire time. It doesn't change. The dynamics is what changes. We bring in and out um, instruments to create those dynamics. You replace drums with that guitar line, bing, 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 which is why the down chorus, you don't lose the beat, really, because that guitar keeps going. So where the instruments come in and what comes in, what comes out is what dictates the parts, like the sections. And when I had those four chords, I thought, oh, man, I instantly feel like I'm living on the east side, you know, in 2013. Uh, we just bought our first house and we're like, you know, getting into it, getting into the life, you know, like, and I felt like I was instantly back there. And, but I was also 15 years ago. And I was also seven years ago and it just felt right, those chords. And then from there, I thought, okay, well, what happened in 2013? Oh, okay, I had my son. And then 2015, oh, I had my daughter. Okay, okay, cool. And then that line, what I want for you are only is only good things. That was the first thing that I said when I, you know, you sit down and you have some chords and you try to think of a melody. And I didn't even have a melody. I just said that. And I thought, that's it. That's the whole song is that line. So I'm going to open the song with that line, because like you said, this is going to be a patient song. I don't even think I want to change anything, any have a chorus, quote unquote. So if I don't have a chorus, I need to, what is this about? Let's say it right at the very beginning. That's the first line. And then everything else after that is just a support of that first opening line. Right. And I, I repeat it, you know, like, 30 freaking times in the whole mood, the whole song, I guess. But yeah, I wanted it to be patient. And then at the end, I, we had this big drum section and this big guitar section and I loved it. I thought it was groovy and a cool section and everything, but it just didn't make it on the record. Like at some point I had to make a decision, is this really working or do I just love it because I have demoitis? And it turned out that that was that I'm really glad that I was talked out of keeping it on the record. Scott talked me out of it. Scott and Jet both talked me out of it. Um, I'm really glad that I that I listened to them uh, in that scenario because I just feel like it changed the vibe, like the vibe. Because it, like you said, like it is a vibe the whole time, 
And so then to go into this other direction in the last 30 seconds just didn't feel right. So anyway, yeah, it's a special song for me. Uh, every time I hear it and listening to it, sitting here with you, even more so do I feel like that. Like, I feel like we're back in that house starting this podcast. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, while, you know, my son's sleeping upstairs and, you know, wife's watching TV downstairs and we're just in, at the desk and, you know, talking about wonder woman or whatever it is you know uh and it's it's a really it's just a really special moment in my life and and uh to be able to capture that feeling in a song for for me like that's you know that's all the value that's all the value uh, i just yeah yeah so um hopefully people like it uh but i think that anybody can relate to that when you think about people that you care about whether that's kids or you know a girl or mom and dad or you know whatever so thanks for playing it man dude love it so much well done thanks brother appreciate it all right well now that that's <laughs> over with hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode i really loved talking to you about ghostbusters and i love that we have differing opinions on this <laughs> yeah. because that doesn't happen very often uh, but let us know in the comments what you think about Ghostbusters and what you'd like to, to see us review. We'd love to, to pull apart uh, any film that people recommend to us. So if you make a recommendation, maybe we'll do it. Who knows? Uh, and also, please share us with your friends. Subscribe, review us anywhere you get your podcast. It all helps a ton. And we appreciate all of it. We really do. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.